The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Reef, our recommended game of the week, components and engagement in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with the high five filler games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my esteemed co-host, Dr. Michaelis McCabe. How are you doing, Michael? You are going to make people believe that I'm actually somebody with all those introductions, man. I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. Good. Uh, another good week. A little bit of snow here in Wisconsin. Luckily, nothing is sticking to the f- ground. Fortunately. Uh, I appreciate that. Considered getting some Christmas lights put up. Man, overachiever. Got, uh, yeah, yeah. Good for you. I don't like doing that in the cold. Do you like doing that in the cold? No. We uh, <laughs> High school basketball season has started, so mm. we don't hang any Christmas lights because my family knows all of that work would fall on them. Oh, and, well, uh, you should get some of your players to do that for you. Uh, that's a brilliant it's a t- idea. team building that, exercise. That is a brilliant idea. Yeah, I do I do about three things. Um, well, you got to throw church in there too. I guess four things. I, I work for my day job. I do game schooler. I coach basketball, and I say no to everything else until March. So, <laughs> and no me. Christmas lights here. All right, you know. what'd you play this week? Anything? I play. Well, let's start with you. I'm I'm loading up. I'm gonna have a little build up here. What did you play this week? If that's okay, if we the big hit in my house is micro macro crime city. Just how big of a hit is it? Very big. We immediately got the second. <laughs> you already There's have the expansion the, the, one week well, later. Yeah, it's a second uh, awesome. second standalone game. Now, Michael and I have had some debates on whether this will eventually be a recommended game or not. I'm not sure. There are some subject matter issues. That being said, I'm playing this with a 10-year-old girl. Yep. Have not had, Your daughter. had any issue. Yeah, some random 10-year-old girl I brought over to, to play Micro Macro. No, it is my daughter. Uh, we are playing... Micro macro crisis. And I want to play test the game with my wife and some of her teacher friends. We have some neighbors who are teachers um, that we've played games with and just ask them straight up. You know, yeah. if, if uh, a couple of high school teachers, what do you think? Would you feel comfortable playing this in your classroom? Spoiler alert. Like, well, I don't want to do a spoiler alert. That would be rude. Um, but describe the game briefly for our listeners. Yeah, it's a giant black and white map that pretty much takes up an entire three by five table. And it has scenes, and it's almost like a gigantic Where's Waldo map. Yeah. All right. And there's no actual depictions of gore. No. It's all fun little cartoons and the people you're looking for. So basically, they're asking you questions about, well, where did this guy work? Where did. Uh, the crime occur, what happened, where were they beforehand? And so you're looking at the map and you're looking for these specific individuals and sometimes they have really big noses or weird hey, hats. Easy, kind, huh? <laughs> huh? I can't help it. I was born that way. Weird hats, things like that, so they're easier to, to spot. And you're looking around the map to try and find exactly what happened to them 
in a, in a Where's Waldo type of thing. So you can kind of retrace their steps or see where they're going depending on where they, they currently are. And I was thinking about why I like this game so much compared to... Because I'm a fan of deduction games in general yep. and kind of uh, solving puzzles, that type of thing. But a lot of... And, and I'm sorry, I was driving today. I'm thinking, what do I like about this one that seems different than all of the other deduction detective style games that I've played. And the thing that I like about this is a lot of times when you're playing other detective games, you're trying to solve the crime, but you're never really sure if you're right until like the end. So like think yeah. about Clue and it's like, okay, I think this is a person that did it. And a lot of the games, there's like a Sherlock Holmes game that's really popular or, or Chronicles of Crime. And you're trying to, the the solution is always kind of evasive. And yep. it isn't until you say, okay, I think it's this. And you flip over the card and you're like, oh, I'm I'm wrong. Right. This game, you always solve the puzzle by finding it with your eyes. Yeah. And you're not making it's, a guess. It's, it's it, nonlinear. You can you can see a, something that could be three or four steps away, and then make your deduction. Yeah, you make don't the have connection. To wait and line it up. Like I go to A to B to C to D. You can see that D and kind of thread your way back to what you well, think yeah. is that, that's very different. Yeah, you're either going backwards or forwards depending on where you're at. And every time I've played this, I've played it with my wife. I've played a couple with you. I've played with my daughter. And every time there's always one or two times where you're like, oh, you make this huge connection yeah. of how the pieces all, you find the one scene that connects everything together. Did you take it to the local library and play it with strangers just to get through all 16 levels or episodes? I can't believe you're already uh, on to the, well, some of them don't, one week you're on so, to the to Some the of them don't take expansion. long. I've got a couple of the more mature ones I'm saving for, for uh, Thanksgiving with, other grown-ups, we'll see how those go. And uh, my daughter and I are, are whizzing through the intermediate ones. And it's, I, I mean, she gets home from school. She's just dying to play this That's thing. That's awesome. But I, I love in gaming high-five moments, those moments of like this worked out, the, yep. the clarity, the triumph. And this game has it every every case. Game so, of the year. Game of the year. It, it is for me right now. It is the the Doug Kotecki game of the year. Well, and the we'll Spiel des Jars. I yes. was being yes. serious. <laughs> Sorry, Doug. I wasn't no, being I have flippant a little, there. I think I have a little bit more weight <laughs> than right. the Spiel des Jars. All right. Zooming out. Are, are you done? Yes, I'm done. No, cool. I had the good fortune and pleasure of hanging out with family over the weekend. And I saw my family, then we saw my wife's family, and I was exhausted. It was 9 o'clock. And my nephews, who are in their 20s, said, hey, uh, if we bring Catan back over after you get the kids to bed, you want to play? What do you say to that, right? You can't, have, you can't be the co-host of the Game Schooler podcast and say, no, I need to go get a good night's sleep. <laughs> so played Catan, one hour, 24 minutes, and 58 seconds. It's the first time, Doug, that I've ever played with six players, though. So the expansion came out, and we talked about Catan back in episode 14, you know, we, we have a notebook, the product, and I was talking about our notebook with the probability. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was fun. It was a blast. And with six players, there's a rule where you can build on, on everybody's turn. When it comes to the player's build phase, then it goes around the table and other people can build. So the 
it was fast and um, you know, when other people came to the table to see it, oh, this looks way too complicated. Oh, no, 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 it's not. And um, it, it was just fun to play a classic game. Uh, I didn't realize I've been playing that game for 20 years now, you know, kind of coming up like, whoa, I, I am getting to be the old guy in the room from time to time. So, well, I, And I don't get like... You know, you're talking about playing a classic. It's like it holds up, right? You oh, had it's a good, great game. You had a good oh, time. Oh yeah. It's like I just don't get all of the the hate on. I don't listen to any of that. On, I'm sorry. On, on Catan or like yeah. Well, people are going to be on frustrated it. on a lot of different things. I had a fun time playing it. I'll tell you what. I got to play with five of my family members who I've spent very little time with over the last two years, and we had an enjoyable time. Yeah. Um, and one of my one of my nephews plays a lot of it, so I'm an aggressive game player, right? Yeah, I, I, I happen I, to be. I, I concur, Your Honor. I, I happen to be the first player to seven. So, what do you think? My nephew to the left said, "Oh, we got to slow down, Michael." And I looked over at him like, "Okay, this is going to be done in about ten minutes because you're clearly going to win." Uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And um, I, that that's the only thing that I have to report out for games played. All right. What, did you acquire anything this week? I asked, throwing a softball. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And I noticed yours is still in the shrink wrap. It is. It's a and monstrous box. Mine is actually not. I got mine out and looked at it, looked at the rules, and... Just wondering when I'm going to get it to the table. Yes, I have. Mine was actually delivered a full day ahead of yours. I don't know. Yeah. But you want to talk about the game? No, you. I, that's why I set you up. Role player adventures. <laughs> yes. T- t- yeah, it t- here. Tee t- it off, and, and I will hit the softball, hopefully out of the park. Uh, the game is role player adventures, and very, very excited to play this game um, by a local designer. Yeah. Um, and... I've heard just a lot of great things about it. Yeah, so. and one of our buddies, Dan, was involved in some of the play testing. I think he did the he designed the, the interior, the, of the, the, box. In, the inserts. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, and Dan works with Keith quite a bit. On I know they've got uh, a game coming out early next year that he helped develop. Uh, Ten Penny. Yeah. Ten Penny Parks. Yep. Or Ten something. Penny Parks. Yep. And um, Keith Mateka and. Uh, and Thunderworks Games, this is just a fantastic game from the role player uh, line. And, um, you know, not we, they don't sponsor us yet. We gladly <laughs> accept that. But next month, hopefully, this month, maybe getting another game, Cape May, which you and I were able to see at our local Game Con pop up. And then that will also be, um, I'll get the original role player delivered with that. It's a good thing my wife doesn't actually listen to our podcast because I'm getting a whole lot of uh, of Thunderworks games coming in and cartographers. Yeah, so I'm Game seeing. Nerds is sending me those three and I'm I'm excited. Uh, there'll be a lot of role player adventures and role player and cartographers played in my house here throughout 2023 and Mike, 2022 rather. I'm already here ahead. Michael's making it rain over here with <laughs> with games. Yeah, role player adventures is a story driven type game, uh, kind of an immersive adventure cooperative experience with puzzles so, that you solve along the way and yeah. So there's a lot the of stuff to it. Um, it looks fantastic. It, it really does. All right, anything else we need to talk about before we move on? No, not that I'm aware. You? No. Uh, the only other thing is contact us with questions, comments, uh, email at gameschooler.com. The other thing, too, I want to do is um, coming up this week, I wanna, I'm want i going to put a poll on our Twitter, 
at Game Schooler U. I think I can do that, right? Yeah. You can put a, you can put a poll on there. Yep. Um, and I don't know if it's a well, maybe not. I'm talking. I'm talking off the cuff here, but I was Bring think, it. thinking about doing something. Of it's nice to see you go off of the run sheet. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, they, <laughs> that's a burn. Um, it stinks. It stinks <laughs> on the inside. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to say what. Find out what uh, what games people like to play during Thanksgiving oh, during holidays. Awesome like, what's their question. family game? And yeah. I don't know if we can do that as an open response yes. thing. Yes, yes, we can. Okay, I'll yes. have technical. You'll knock <laughs> the, it out. The guy who runs an internet company will have. The... No, no, no. You'll get it. You'll get it. I like it. This is great. And when in doubt, we'll get our friend John Spike to run our social media. That guy's fantastic. There you go. Um, I did want to follow up on one thing. Since our Zombie Kids episode aired, and and Margaret, um, my daughter, has become a little celebrity within the the. McCabe family here. Um, people have been randomly running into the room at our house and saying the recommended game of the week and things like that. So tonight I'm going to try to go off script. We'll see if I can get it. I wanted to call my shot before knocking it out. I'm going to deliver the recommended game of the week without the run sheet tonight in honor of my kids who make fun of me. Okay. Like crazy. So I'm ready. All right. Sounds good. Let's move on to, I'm sorry, what's the next segment? The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the recommended game of the week. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passages our stringent <laughs> criteria for quality and content. This week's recommended game is Reef, designed by master game designer Emerson Matsuchi. And I forgot who published that one, but I know Doug will give me the assist when he gives us the stats. Doug? Uh, it's by Next Move Games. I can attest that he was not looking at the run sheet. I'm going to try and do the stats without looking at the run sheet. Oh, good luck. Published in 1894 by Close. Emerson Matsuchi. No, all right. Published in 2018, the designer Emerson Matsuchi. The art is by Chris Quilliams. Two to four players, 30 to 45 minutes, ages eight and up. It was a Spiel de Jars recommended game in 2019 and is also a Mensa Select. Oh, your association game. selected it, huh, Doug? Yes, Way yes. Uh, yep. they, they, <laughs> continue, they continue to deny my application. Well, that Carry on. all adds up. And according to the publisher, in the game Reef, players take on the role of a coral reef, carefully selecting colors and patterns in which to grow and expand. On each turn, players can choose to pick up a new card from a choice of four or play a card that is already in their hand. Each card provides two reef pieces and a pattern that scores points if the existing reef has it after placing the two new pieces. Whoever has the most points when the reef uh, pieces or card deck run out wins. It's an abstract strategy game suited for players ages 8 and up. And while... It, uh, okay, and then that's just... Um, flavor text. Flavor copy there. Unnecessary. So yeah, you very simple. This is like a... Uh, similar to Century Spice Road, also designed by Emerson Matsuji, where the turn structure is very simple. You're yeah. either going to play a card from your hand or pick one up from the card area. 
When you play a card from your hand, you're going to take two pieces that are on the top of the card yep. and add them to your reef. And they're chunky, uh, four-colored. There's four colors in the game, chunky pieces. They stack on top of each other, and they go into a grid uh, setup. And then after you place those pieces, there's some sort of scoring combination on the bottom. On the bottom of the card. So take the pieces on the top, score out the bottom of the card. Yep, and most of the time, I think, if not all, the pieces that are on the top are not contributing to the scoring on the bottom, or it's pretty rare. It's not something where you're going to add a green piece. It's very balanced. And way. then yep. you're going to score green pieces. No, you might be scoring purple pieces on that. And the way that you score, some of them are how many, time does it, how many times does this color shape appear? How many stacks do you have so high of green? Like Different combinations will score out differently. Yeah, yeah, and they're different points, but they're, a lot of it is, is based on how the colors appear on the grid looking down from above, uh, and that's how you score points. Whoever has the most points wins. What do you like about this game, Michael? I like the playing and scoring. It's um, what you just mentioned there and highlighted where you get to take the two pieces that are at the top of the card. The game is so balanced. There you go. That sweet sound of Mountain Dew. Also not a sponsor yet, but you may be. Reach out to email at GameSchooler for more information, Mountain Dew personnel. I like um, that something good is going to happen on my turn on most turns. I'm either building something or I'm scoring out, but I don't get both of them. Yeah. So I, I like the tension that comes in with with the playing and scoring. Um, I have two other things I like. You want me to send it over to you or just knock those out? Uh, whatever you'd like to All do, right. Michael. I like the pace of the game. The game moves fast. It's often yeah. done in 15 to 20 minutes. It's a nice little in-between game if you're playing a lot of games in a day. It's also a nice little after-dinner, before-bedtime game to play with the family. And I like the accessibility of the game. I think it's a game that very young kids to very older humans who are non-gamers can play and pick up in the same way that Azul is. I really see it in that same family uh, of games as Azul. Yeah. And this is one of those, every once in a while we talk about it, but it's one of those things that I really like, which is a game that you can teach in two minutes Mm -hmm. or less. I mean, it's so easy to teach and the... What you're doing on your turn is so simple, but the decisions and the way that you manipulate your turns. Holy optionality. Yeah, there's a lot of options and there's an interesting puzzle. And that's one of those things where it's like, I love those type of games where you can mm-hmm. teach them fast and the depth comes from the gameplay and the choices that you can make, not from all of the, the rules that there are. It's like, oh, well, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. It doesn't have that. It has... This is what you do on your turn. Yeah. You know, and now where you place those pieces, you know, to, to manipulate your scoring, that that makes a difference. Um, but I love that, and I love the puzzle of this game, the idea that the reef pieces that you get are rarely the ones that score. So, you know, you have you to kind of— Score now or score later. Yeah, you kind of have to build up a little bit of an, an engine of, of the cards that you're selecting to put in your hand to say, okay, I'll play this card— this card, this card, and then finally score with that one. And then remember not to put the pieces that you're gaining on your scoring card over what you've already done. And I like that. I like the puzzle. I think it stretches your brain in ways that a lot of games don't. It's forcing you to look at a lot of different options and in a, in a direct way, you know, we play a lot or talk about a lot of games where it's like, yes, you're solving puzzles. You're trying to, make decisions but this one 
does it in a in a direct way where it's not it's not hiding behind theme, right? So the idea of oh, you know we were talking about Back to the Future last year last week, and it's like, do I go over here or do I go over there? What are the consequences? That type of thing. It's like a it's little, not that level of deduction. No, no. it's 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 more direct. I don't I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but there's this the the puzzling nature of it. I feel like you are solving those problems immediately. And because the theme is so weak, you know, this is an abstract game. It doesn't get in the way of that. Yeah. It's- so I, I just happened to talk about Emerson Matsucci in our opening segment last week when my daughter and I played Century Gollum Edition. And, um, and, it, and it was just happenstance. She picked out the game. And and a connection that I want to make the the player mat your your sea floor, it, there's only 16 spaces. Yeah. So uh, where Doug's talking about the the puzzly nature of the game, Doug's puzzle and my puzzle are two very different puzzles because I can build up and I will score out if I can get those pieces to be four high. That's a magic number that will score out, but there's a limited number of turns. Yeah. So I, I, and, I'm not going to be able to score everything, so I better be focused. It is a tactical game player's dream. If yeah. you like to think one or two moves ahead and are excited by what could potentially be coming into the marketplace or off the top of the deck, rather... Um, it's just a fantastic game. You can't, you can, you can't do all things though. No, you really no. have to pick and choose what you're going to do. Well, and it's a great, a great interaction. We've talked about it before of that that constant tension that's in a game. Yep. And this one, like Michael just said, you've got a sixteen or a sixteen space grid, a four by four grid that you're putting your pieces on, and you're thinking, well, mine is not the, you know, my grid is not going to look the same as Michael's. However, there's only so many pieces and there's so many cards. And as those cards come out, you know, you're thinking, okay, I want to get that before Michael does, but I, you know, all of that, but I need to get these down to score. And so there is that interaction between one another, especially when, you know, you're both looking for, for green pieces and finally a card comes out that has green pieces. Oh, I needed that. You know, so that interaction is still there, even though it's not direct it's not take that right but it it i do feel like not i don't really play defense in this game as far as trying to prevent you from doing something it just happens it's not a a, when something happens by accident yeah when an option is taken away it's not because the other player was mean they're just doing what they need to do for what's best for them but that tension provides the interaction that keeps me from feeling like i'm playing a solo game sure I'm playing with the group, you know. How, how many different, not to put you on the spot here, and I'm going somewhere with this, but how many different game groups do you currently have right now? I know you, obviously I would consider you and I to be a game group, but then you have one part of your family, another part of your family, you have some other people that you... Well, this is three or four different yeah. different groups, depending yeah. on... And, and that's about the number that I have too, you know. And, and so oftentimes... I'll, I'm coming to the podcast from my other job, and I'll call one of the game groups or people that I've talked about playing a game with before. So on the way over, I was like, "Oh, I know I've, I, I, I've got a good friend who loves Emerson Matsuchi. I'm, I'm going to call. I know we've talked about Reef." And the first thing I said, 
have you and I talked about Reef before? Because I was trying to get some content for the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, do a little brainstorming session before getting on the microphone. He said, no, but I love Emerson Matsushi. And immediately started talking about other games that this designer has designed. And as we're talking about this game now, I want to play Reef. Whereas usually we'll play a game before the podcast just to review, refresh, talk about. And I think that says a lot about the quality of the game and how the pieces fit together and the puzzles. There's an excitement around playing this game. That- well, and to me, you know, we talked about the the theme in gaming last week, right? Yeah. In our school yeah. of gaming. And this has a lot of similarities to Century Spice Road, but it's brighter. Mm-hmm. It's more colorful on the table. It's got, you know, one of the things I love, these chunky these chunky reef tile things are a little plastic. They almost look like toys that stack on one another. But they stack, whereas yeah. in Century Spice Road, things aren't stacking. They're just moving on your card. Yeah, you but know, the, and, simple, the simple turns, yeah. the fast turns, Tactile. And, the, and that, you know, it's my turn, it's your turn, my turn, your turn. Around the table it goes, and oh, don't take the one that I wanted. It has. It's not the same game, but it has a lot of the same feelings while you're playing it. Yep. And and you know this game could be about anything. I don't necessarily get any um, coral reef no feelings board game out of the lists, game listed as an abstract. It's game. it's an abstract yeah. game, but this the color and the presentation as as a as a component component of theme. This may be one that you would want or, or might look more interesting on a table compared to Century Spice Road that gives you all of the same feelings of a Century Spice Road. You know, with it's a different game, but there's a lot of the same tensions, feelings, tactical nature, yep. fast turns, all of those type of things. So it's interesting how you can have a game that can give you some of the same emotions with no theme but a brighter presentation. Right. And and different components that make it like, oh wow, that's. I mean, it looks pretty on the table. There's oh, no it doubt sure about does. it. And it it plays fast. I I don't know if we've mentioned this, Doug. You talked about how easy it is to teach. The weight on it is 1.87, and so I mean, a game that we just talked about a few weeks ago, Hanga, was 1.88. Yeah. So it, it truly is a game that you can bring to the table, and a lot. Uh, Board Game Geek and probably the side of the box li- lists it as eight plus, but a lot of six and seven year olds will pick up on this game because all you have to do are take the pieces that are on the top. You can how you can walk yeah. them through the scoring, and if you if and I haven't tested this out with my five soon to be six year old, but I think a lot of kids if they played it a few times would figure out okay if I make tall stacks and get things next to each other, it's going to score better. Yeah, um, well, it's, great, great game. It's one of those where it can be as deep as you want it to be. Yeah, right. As complicated as you, I like that. Want to overthink it? You know, you can have a couple of eight-year-olds play this game. Are they going to be using the same level of brain power to to calculate all of their possible moves as a full-grown adult? Probably not. But it's still going to be enjoyable. Yeah. And I would say that 1.8 rating on Board Game Geek, as far as a weight of complexity, most of that comes from how deep you get into the game. Yeah. Because up front, it's a 1.2. 
Yeah, Easy. yeah, not a one point eight two. I, I misspoke earlier. It's it's listed as one point eight two, but you know, that might so, have changed since I hit refresh. <laughs> Michael just rated it a five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that guy. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, what are some of the skills in this game? Well, are the, do you have any nitpicks, Doug? You, only, you zoomed right by it. Yeah. The only concern I have is that. If you think that you're going to be getting some sort of ocean fantastical game, this the is cover not art it. is greatly misleading. Yeah, <laughs> th- yes, this is not. You're not going to think that you're Jacques Cousteau going and plunging into the depths of yeah. the ocean and the Great Barrier Reef. It's very much an abstract game. Yeah, I the what I also like about this game, and, and not that it's a, a nitpick, but I'll get into the marketing a little bit here. Um, I think this is a great game to relieve stress. You know, and I talked about Gollum last week of having a conversation while playing a board game. If you're in a high-stress job role, if you are teaching in a high-stress environment, I mean, if there are classrooms where the stress is high, especially at that high school and post-secondary level, this would be a great game to keep in a library so people could just take 20-minute break and play Reef. Um, when I look at the cover art, I'm not led to believe that. I, I would really have to almost listen to a segment like ours to understand that, oh, this is an easy game that we can have fun with. And although it's easy to learn, there's some options and it's going to test my brain in a different way. Yeah. Well, there's and, a reason that it's recommended that by men's skills. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, how many times do you have a, a game with a 1.8 rating that's recommended by Mensa? I, like, you tell me, Mr. Mensa, Dr. Um, Mensa. I don't know. Dr. I'll tell Doug you when Mensa. we do our next vote. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Well, your annual meeting? Yeah, yeah. All right. And now I'm ready for skills. All right. So for the first one that I've got is when I actually put two core skills on No this honorable week. mention, huh? No. Okay. Uh, the first one that I put is a core skill process information. I have that listed as a core skill. A game in which students must examine or analyze information. This is coming in the form of the cards the way that they score, the order that you want to uh, choose your op- your order of operations. Yep. And it's it's a lot of what's going on in this game is figuring out how you want to do it, when you want to do it, and where you want to do it, right? Absolutely. And then there, once the board starts to fill out and you're committed to some of the pieces, it's can I actually do this? Yeah. Is it worth me taking those two pieces or is it better off for me to score yeah, you're the waiting. bottom? I mean, yeah. those last three or four turns, you, you can make some some good decisions or some bad ones based on how you process. Yeah, you're waiting. Yeah, yeah you definitely. Does that make the, sense? Well, towards the yeah. end of the game, you definitely have to balance of like, if I you're you're on the hunt for scoring cards that you already have kind of lined up like your your board right. is set up to score so it's like you're trying to take a card oh that's going to score me a lot of points if i take it but then you have to look at the top and be like yeah but that's going to clean out the green and that's going to trigger end game yep and so some of those decisions of how far you can push it and keeping an eye out for uh for points that are available yeah. you know without without pushing the end game did, is your second core skill a core skill that you talked about last week? It is not. Okay. Okay. Because I, I also brought two core skills to the table today. And hold on. Just uh, yeah. I want to interrupt there. The Just for new listeners, core skills for us are skills that are found in every game. Every game. Every we, game. We that, contend these are in the, the yeah. games that we're talking about. They're there. They're in every game that we talk about as a recommended game of the week and certainly every tabletop game in general. Every tabletop game is going to have 
processing information yes. in it. Um, and then we also have secondary skills, but the core skills we think are in everyone. The only we reason we're highlighting them now is because we think that they do an excellent job yeah, of highlighting this game those core focuses skills. on those skills. And then we also have secondary skills that show up in some games, but not, not every all. game. Yep. So sorry, Thanks, I just Doug. wanted no, to know that's great. Concentration we'll f- is is the core. I debated one of the putting that skills. on there. Yeah, yep. yeah. And you talked about it last week, and so I'm probably just borrowing your good ideas. I'm trying to make them my own, like any scholar would, right? <laughs> a game that encourages a student to focus their attention on efforts or efforts on a task. And, and this is not a nitpick. This is not a critique of the game. But one, usually once a game, I will just stare at cards thinking that, that the right option is going to happen. And it it's probably only taking 10 or 12 seconds. But because the game moves so fast, it, it feels like... I'm in a stopped car at a green light. You know what I mean? Because there's that level of focus that seems to get brought in mid-game where it's the decision that I make is going to impact all of my next four moves. And I, I like that. That's not in in every game that, that we recommend to that level. And I think it really leads to a great reflection on action after the game and a post-game discussion of, hey, when I took those two tiles and I chose to stack them, or hey, when I took that card and I chose to score it. That, and, and I like how that that's brought into... Well, you also just reminded me when you... I got a, a brain vision when you said that you were staring at, at the cards for a long time, and it reminded me that this great game is great for colorblind folks it's colorblind friendly all of the pieces have a unique shape so regardless of whether you're the symbology is to borrow a kotecki term um it it, it, it's great and it's i didn't want to get into it with this game but i i actively decode uh i'm I'm not really looking at the colors i'm looking at the symbols when when i'm playing so yeah uh so the the other core skill that i have and it was something in our definition that kind of stood out to me that made me like i got to put this on the list which is comprehension a game that requires players to perceive and understand concepts ideas and functions how the game works the rules and mechanisms and it was the idea of understanding concepts and the ideas and the way that the game functions in that top half bottom half top half take the pieces bottom half denominator almost score and how those work together in tandem and set one another up it's this little thing that you have to learn but i think it's amazing how fast you can get a shorthand for how everything works yeah which i think is a, a good sign of of comprehension um being taught well yeah it's a unique system right yeah. it's unique to this game that yeah that that's good all right should we jump into the uh to the secondary skills here yep uh I bet yeah. we've got two of them that are match up at you least. think so yeah yeah uh i bet i yeah we'll see here's one that i don't think we're going to match up on responsiveness did you happen to have that no, because I think of that as being more of a dexterity skill. Yeah, and okay, not that's a, where we're, we vary a little bit, where I see it more okay. as a cognitive skill. Well, and if it, if because it is... Because we have it listed under cognitive skills, yeah, but, but my but, bad. No, but it is a... Co- <laughs> yeah, it's I think it's, it's a fast reaction. Mm-hmm. To me, I think that I think of it as a... Um, how fast can somebody say something and beat somebody else at saying it faster? Oh, interesting. that's how I think of responsiveness. Like, how fast can I recall or give the answer 
um, like Braintopia. Yeah. A game like Braintopia where you flip over a card and somebody, whoever's the first person to solve the puzzle, slaps their hand sure. on the table. That's what I think of like mental responsiveness. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're having this talk now so that on we, we know it's good. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out by the time the book gets published. But I, I, I see it as almost the end product of comprehension. Right? Am I able to respond to my environment and what I'm seeing in front of me so that I take the best available option? Um, so, and we define it as a game that tests a student's mental reaction time. So that's where Doug and I both have. There's multiple truths on the, on this game schooler um, definition. It when I'm looking at, I keep calling it the marketplace. I, I apologize to the game designer. I don't think that's the name of it, but I'm looking at the cards in front of me and trying to select the best option. Um, I, my responsiveness matters because there is a pressure to move on. Um, the, the game does but, move. Go ahead. But I don't think the, I don't, this, I don't think your speed is rewarded in any way. Well, it's just that you get those, uh, the opportunity just moves. I mean, you know, it, it may if, be a, pre- I feel like it's a pressure. There may be an outward pressure of like, I got to pick something fast, um, just based on the rest of the players, but that, that's not, yeah, and he, here's where I'm going to push back a little bit. My my first three skills in order are concentration, process information, and then responsiveness is almost the end of it. If I can really zoom in on, on what's in front of me on the board and figure out what I'm seeing and then execute, right? I'm able to prioritize and then execute. That's, that's where I'm bringing responsiveness in. Yeah. And, and I could be reaching a little bit. It's not a skill. I think in 47 episodes, this is only the second or third time that I've ever talked about it. Um, but, but th- that, that's where I'm going to land on and try to yeah. defend that somewhat shaky ground, but I like it. <laughs> I, I do think that there's the essence of that in this game when you're selecting your pieces and scoring out to me it just is one of those that it's a very specific type of thing that in for me does not show up in a lot of games it's a very specific type of thing it'd be almost in party games or or things like that how think i think i always think of it as like thinking on your feet yeah you know um so but do yeah. you think of it also in incorporating any sort of physical skill? No, it's all cognitive, right? We have it listed in the yeah, right I think category. Yeah, I think okay. originally it started out as a, a dexterity like type he, thing here, of catch. like yeah. how fast can you yeah. get at something. Yeah. And I think whether you're using your arms. Don't break your nose again. <laughs> you know, whether you're using your arm to slap on the table, you still have to have the yeah. the brain recognition first that, that triggers you to move your arm. Um, all right, so I'll go to the one that I think maybe is not on your list as well which is time management. My next skill listed. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Interesting. Now yeah. I'm curious of which one you left off. Um, time management, a game that improves students' ability to organize and plan how long they spend on specific activities before running out of time. This game has a very unique end game where you can see it ticking down. Yep. You are not going to have very many turns left. Uh, once those pieces or the cards run out, it's, over. it's triggering the end game. So... There, there's often times in this game where people are doing stuff to kind of stretch it out and take cards that they don't really want in order to, like, how long can you build up before you score the card that you want to score for maximum? Especially when you know that some of the, the, the pieces that you get are not on the scoring cards. Yeah. So you're like, how many turns can I add pieces before I actually score this huge one? 
before the game ends right and trying to balance that and i i have time management listed in my top five as well and it's one of those where if you're playing with youth with humans with underdeveloped frontal lobes and that's not be me being mean that's just statement of fact right your frontal lobe that does all your risk management um, doesn't fully develop till you're 25 to 30 years old. The the time that it takes sometimes to, never develops. <laughs> the time, thank you. The time that it takes to finish the game, I believe, is half of what is listed on on Board Game Geek. If you play this game in the classroom, there's going to be one person out of a group of four that wants to trigger that end game. Yeah, an aggressive game player. I mean that that's typically how how I play Reef. It's not going to take 30 to 45 minutes in a classroom or educational yeah, or even family setting if you're playing with kiddos. You, you I, have I think to it's really 15 have, to 20. have people that are really thinking a lot every yep. turn, be, which it could bog down. I mean, I, yeah, it's, yeah, you would, you would. And, and, and who are not playing, you know, who are distracted, doing other things into their phone, into their tablet, wondering yep. about what's coming up next in their day. I think if you're with engaged gamers, this is such a fast-paced game, and as Doug alluded to, you see, oh my goodness, I have three turns left, but I wanted to do all these things. Yeah. What am I going to do with my last three turns? Because you see the end game happening in front of you. All right. Do you have any more left? I have one and right. an honorable mention. All right. What's your one left? Resource management. I feel like you left some low-hanging fruit on the on the tree. Oh, well, you bring it. Give me your others, and then I'll defend instead of you just taking shots and cleaning up. Go ahead, man. <laughs> what do you go got? What do you got left? Spatial perception, Michael? No, I didn't put it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Chromatic, deficient, colorblind, whatever you want to say. Like, no, I didn't have spatial perception. All right, perception so spatial perception, that. you got to put your pieces down, and you're paying attention to where they are located on the board for patterns and how high they are. There's a lot of manipulation on. I think where I left that one off, um, some of the games that we've reviewed lately with spatial perception are big worlds, big maps. And because this is so tight, you're right. It's definitely on there. You have a four by four grid that you're filling up and, and looking for combinations on, Um, you know, similar to tiny towns in some way where you're really trying to combo on a small space, but I, I didn't include it. I, uh, the last one you even mentioned in in what you liked about it. The tactical feast. Tactical thinking, yeah. yeah. I just thought that was too low of hanging fruit. I chose to leave that for the people behind me to allow them to, to eat. <laughs> so we could have something. <laughs> yes. So us plebes in the back could have <laughs> something right to pick up. That's where I was up. going. Tell them about it, though. It's uh, absolutely on there. A game that challenges students to make decisions based on currently available and frequently changing information. You can plan a little bit, but not much. No, and things two are, turns max. Things are changing quite frequently. Um, and I like that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a tactical game player, Me too. so it, it, this was one that I had to pull out and highlight it based on how well of a job that, like, you just cannot plan the way that what, what reef tiles you're going to be taking necessarily. And then the way to score them and, and chaining that together, you gotta, you kind of have to fly at the seat of your pants. And if you're yeah. getting to that point where you're overthinking it, it bogs down the game and i think you're missing kind of the point of the game sure and this could be my arrogance coming through here but if the game designer were listening to this podcast i think he he would weigh in on my resource management here because we define resource management as a game that boosts a student's capacity 
capacity to efficiently and effectively oversee available assets. Oh, I think that's a good. And, uh, don't get yeah, me wrong. No, I think yeah, that's yeah. a great skill. I'm not. I'm not mocking the skill. I just thought that. Oh, the other I, two. I got you. I, I saved up for this one though, and didn't talk about the things that I liked because I thought I might get challenged a little bit. But this has happened to me when I've played this game. Okay, I select the two pieces, and I, I know where I want to put them, and I go to put them down on my. Uh, on my tile floor and oh wait they actually fit better over here those some of those last second changes of the resources to try to optimize scoring and and figure things out um it's in multiple places in the game but this is different from sentry or from Gollum, where i make that last second adjustment because it actually fits in better here um see i thought you would go with the you can have like up to four cards in your yeah. hand before you have yeah. to start playing Place. cards. Yep. And I, those to me are the resources in the game is the it's way, in multiple levels though. Yeah. I, the I, way that the way that you when you choose to spend your cards and score and how you're managing that, that to me is the, the main, scoring versus playing main resource of the game is when am I going to um Put those tile, you know those yeah. those. Uh, well, I didn't out. go there because I laid a trap, so you would go there. Doc. Okay, but good. No, God, I, you're I do so have... wise, Michael. <laughs> yeah, right. Anybody... No wonder uh, you're a doctor. Stop it. What? Um, you have any honorable mention? No, I have one just for some some eye roll from you that always makes for good good podcast entertainment. Here, I have precision, wrong, fine motor skills. Um, a game that rewards students for being exact and accurate with fine motor skills. Uh, if you're play- <laughs> not I, even making that contact, can, you, right. you can't even, <laughs> do you play any games with with your three year old kiddo here? Yes, uh, stacking the tiles. You don't think there's fine motor skills in this? Uh, as an honorable mention, as a no. possibility. No, and here's here's why I will say that there's not is because the person playing this game would have to. If if this is helping you with your fine motor Easy skills, now. you're if, about to offend some educators, including this one. If, Go ahead, Doug. If if you are using this game for fine motor skill development, the game is too complicated, and you should be. I using, disagree. Fine you, motor skills development is not always associated with cognitive skill development. If you're coming back from an injury. If you are a, a young child who's working on manipulating manipulatives, you are stacking those nice chunky pieces that you talked about. Yeah, but that's not not in the same way that like animal upon animal. Like, well, if, I'm if, not competing with animal upon animal. I would be competing with like a golem or a century spice road. It's probably too much of a stretch. <laughs> I just thought I'd leave <laughs> it on here. You can barely get that out uh, with a straight I face. <laughs> I was workshopping. It's honorable mention. The stuff you throw into the high five—that's honorable mention. I think you're workshopping it sometimes too. Anyways. <laughs> Great game, great game. Sorry uh, for taking you on a few tangents there. Uh, to bottom line, though, a lot of different skills, right? I know we had agreement, but when you talked about low-hanging fruit, we could have gone in a, in a lot of different directions with skill development on this one, don't you think? Yes, yes. Yeah. A great game with a lot of a lot of skill development. Michael's probably right on uh, what was the— Resource management. No, your fine motor skill one. Precision. Precision. Yeah, probably in ways I don't understand, so I apologize to our listeners. Oh, I, um, I brought up being offended, and now you have to walk it back. Yeah, huh? I got it. Yeah, <laughs> stop, I stop. I don't, I don't want to. You're good. No, if if you don't think it fits, it, it, I, me, I see that. I I, I would that, recommend so many other games yeah, before this, is, for I guess, our my listeners, point. I have to put a huge disclaimer for any listeners that are new to us. During the lockdown time, I had a four-year-old that I game-schooled with 
for an entire school year. So in the afternoon, my four-year-old and I were playing games. So there were times where I would grab a game, not not Reef specifically because it's not in my collection, but a game like Reef and play it and see different pieces and skills and bring it back to Doug and get laughed out of the room. And I get that. Um, but that's why it's an honorable mention. And um, games do a lot of different skills. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and you hear, you hear too about uh, – people that with their their kids just let their kids play with the components yeah before they ever know with what the game is you know and there's there's a real i mean i've got a game zularetto that my kids pull out and build their own little zoo they've never actually played the game yeah i haven't played that one yet so that's on my want to play it's certainly a viable thing to do with your games and i I don't want to discredit that either so it's good man that is the reef the recommended game of the week let's move on to the school of gaming Too much. Too much. Knock me out of my chair, Michael. Easy, fella. In the school of gaming, he's, he's back discuss. to the run sheet, guys. He's got. <laughs> well, I'm, back. I'm just. Uh, I'm still just soaking in the Michael's probably right comment from a few minutes ago. So I'll start over. I'll scrub it from the episode. In the it's school gone. of gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be talking about the components and engagement. Do components influence engagement? Doug, tell us. Do components influence <laughs> engagement? I think they do. I think great components make – it's how they make you feel when you're playing the game. Yeah. And it's like if you've got great chunky pieces, Reef, a great example of that, that I am more engaged in that game because of the pieces as opposed to cardboard cutouts or yep. cardboard tokens. When you get a game that has – real metal coins in it and you say wow i just there's something about it that makes me makes you more invested in the game yeah and what do games with great components typically also have they also typically have great art graphic design and other pieces that really help that game to stand out so what do like what do cheap components how does that affect when you're playing a game to you yeah, that that's a great question. Um, I guess to answer it a slightly different way, there's a game with amazing art that has wooden eggs, wingspan, and the eggs just make that... They're rubber, folks. They're not wooden? No. <laughs> they feel wooden. Okay, it's been a few months since <laughs> I played wingspan. <laughs> Strike the di- the, the dice are wooden. <laughs> <laughs> but the components are fantastic. Yeah. They're not paper. It's yeah. not paper and... And some cheap plastic. So I I think from a standpoint, you know, you have another game in your collection that the Artemis project with those metal coins that the first time I played it was jingling the coins. It's like, I want this game, but I don't want the paper. I want I want the Kickstarter edition. This game's great. So there's that toy factor that we talk about that that does matter from the engage from an engagement standpoint, it absolutely matters. Well, and it's interesting too, because a game with lackluster components has to work twice as has to be like twice as good of a game to get over that hurdle a game that's not that great can feel better and feel more engaging yep just because it has better components 
And I think that's that's interesting that it, you know, I I don't know if it's superficial for us as or materialistic of us as gamers. It's like, well, I need to have the nicest, coolest things. But, Could be. But when you're talking about, in our case, when you're playing with kids and families and engagement and non-gamers, people that are not playing games every, you know, week consistently, having those components that can immerse them into the game are going to make a big difference. I think of, it goes a long way. Of captivating att- attention. Yeah, and yeah. I, I we could absolutely be criticized for, for that stance, but I, I do think it goes a long way. And, um, you know, one of my backgrounds and in, in some I – don't, I, I don't like going there on the podcast. I feel like I'm that arrogant guy that Doug tries to make me, but I've, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of training and done a lot of work in the trauma-informed care world, right? And, and worked with kiddos who've been through trauma. And one thing from that training is, you know, humans are pleasure-seeking and pain-avoidant. Uh, yep. by, by nature, that's how, how humans are, are wired to be. And there is something very pleasurable about playing a board game with awesome components. You know why? I grew up playing shoots and Ladders and Monopoly. Now, Monopoly had the cool car, but come on, when you're playing some of the modern tabletop board games with the components and the games that we're talking about, yeah, such an upgrade from those games of of growing up. Night and day. Yeah. So here's a question for you, and I I know part of the answer, but I want to see if you've got some Uh uh, some other different opinion on it. But So if if we're of, of the opinion that components can make a game more engaging sure, and are, are important. Why doesn't every company add fantastic components to their game? Yeah. Well, excellence. I, I think what, what's the intention of the company? Who are they designing it for? And what are they just out for profit margins games? I mean, when you talk about where the game is made and how it gets shipped and how it gets into the person's house and, and all of those different pieces, I, I think that's part of it. And I hope that it improves over time. You know, I, I don't like opening a game and being like, oh, man, I was really excited. And these pieces are kind of cardboard cutouts. And how am I going to get this to stand? And my dog better not get a hold of it. I won't be able to play. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there, I, there's just a lot that goes into making a game. Yeah. And I'm assuming my assumption is that a majority, if they're. I don't want to say cutting corners, but if if there's an opportunity to make a, a, a deluxe version or something along those lines, my assumption is that most publishers are not making it that way to make it more affordable to, you know, on the shelf, not yeah. necessarily to have, it's not necessarily to cut corners and make more profit. It's to lower the price of the game right. because once you start adding the deluxe components, you are adding cost. And now, in an example, a game like Wingspan, it adds to the cost, but in my opinion, makes it something that becomes more of an heirloom game that lasts longer, and yeah. people are going to get more value Play out for of decades. it, respect it more. Um, so it's an interesting thing. Of it's like, okay, this game becomes more affordable for more people, or do you save up for the good one that's going to last a long time? And and, and there's a a lot a of er- area in between there, yeah. you know, and in addition to that, you have some people that are publishing games that, you know, art and design is not their strong suit necessarily. And it's, you know, some people are just not capable of producing that quality of what their standard of excellence is. Yep. Um, so that's out there as well, which leads me to the other thing is that there's ways around it. If you've got a game that you love 
there are so many companies out now that are dumb dedi- about it, dedicated yep. to providing upgraded components. Um, Board Game Geek has their Geek Geek Up. Geek Bit? Geek Bit? Oh, man, how do we not know this? Uh, spent I, I think it's like there. Geek Up, Geek Bits type of thing that they add different tokens or, or more upgraded tokens, like on a game like Quacks of Quedlinburg, they've got acrylic. Are you in my internet search? How did you know the Geek Bit from Quacks? That's the first thing that popped up when I did BGG. It's Geek Up. They're bit sets. Yeah. yeah. So the Geek Up bit sets. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's things like that. There's other ones where, I mean, you can go online. You can get metal coins on Amazon and, and things like that. That you can upgrade games that you like, especially if you're going to be using them in a classroom. If you're doing with your family, you want them to be better versions. If you're looking for them to make them last longer, it's like, yeah, maybe the publisher doesn't want to put those extra things in, but maybe you want to put yep. them in to make your game even better. Well, and there are smart tasteful upgrades that, that you can do by being creative yourself, right? Tom Basil talks about using the Mario Kart uh, characters and creatures in, in Downforce. Which I have. Right? Which yeah. you, you have done as well. And then, Doug, one thing that you do constantly uh, with your games I think is really smart from a setup, and, and this is blurring a few different lines here, but I think it adds into the components. You go to the dollar store and to Michael's and Hobby Lobby and get those little trays to put the pieces in so that when somebody yeah. unboxes the game, you don't have to open up a plastic bag and get things out and get a different Tupperware container to put the stuff in. Yeah. You just take the container out, and there it is. We're ready to go. So I think that all adds in um, to it. Yeah, there's different upgrades you can do. I mean, one of them is just the idea that that inserts. Uh, companies are making new inserts that you can put into your game to store your components better, and instead of sorting everything out you just plop three trays down on the table you're all set up it makes setup and teardown easier there's things like that even something as simple as as a game like machi koro which only comes with like one dice two dice yeah. that need to be passed around the whole table it's, it's like got the little tray you can go and to the store and buy a couple more sets of dice and everybody has their own you don't need to pass them oh, that's, around that's a good point it's like so there's simple upgrades that don't always need to be well i need to get everything gold foiled and sleeved yeah. up and things like that. So sometimes we can bridge the gap that the publishers didn't do. And yeah. I also wanted to remind people too that when we're recommending games, quality is something that we're paying attention to. Stringent criteria. Yeah, it, it really is. A quality and cost. You know, that's right? imp- important to us. The balance people, between those two. That people are are getting a quality game and and if it does not seem high quality to us, or, or very playable, we're not going to recommend it. Yeah, I have two other quick examples. One is the game Parks that was a recommended game of the week early on in the podcast, and it has game trays built into it. It has little trees, and the card art is amazing. And I still look at that box, and I marvel at how did everything fit into that box? And I'll open it up once in a while and just look at all of the pieces, Yeah, and it just, the game fits sets up in about two minutes two minutes and it's an easy teach and 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 so when you ask do components lead to engagement if i'm walking by my calyx and i just want to open up and look at it just to see the game absolutely it's like opening up the fridge to see something delicious in there right 
Um, and then the other one is the game that we talked about that just delivered. And, and it, it probably isn't a game schooler recommended game because of a few different factors, but the role player adventures and our friend Dan who helped to, to design the inside of that box and how everything fits together. When I unboxed it and I saw everything that's in there, so that wouldn't fit in the trunk of my first car that I owned. There's so much stuff in this box. So I, I continue to be impressed by what people are doing to make sure that all the components do fit the game and in the box. Yeah, and that's something that we're going to talk about next week as a, as a teaser. That's our, our high five for next week is, yeah. is the best components in games. So that'll be interesting. Can you tell I did a little research ahead for that one? Sorry, but Ooh, it's coming. Interesting. All right, so that is the... School of Gaming, let's move on to the high five. All right, if you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. This week's high five includes a top five list of family-friendly filler games. So a filler game, in my world definition, is these are games that you kind of cleanse your palate with after you've maybe played a, a heavy game or a brain burner game or games that you play at the end of the night when you still want to play a game, but yeah. you are fried. Or, you know, if you're in a convention setting, this would be a game that you're playing that's either usually quicker. I put under 30 minutes in a lot of the games that they may say 30 minutes, but I think they kind of run a little bit faster. That, you know, somebody's playing a three-hour game, and you play the two-hour game, and you need a couple of games to fill in before the other table gets done. You want to keep playing games. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I just defined it as, and I borrowed your definition, uh, a game set up in under three minutes, played in under 30 minutes, can be played between heavy games or to keep playing after brains are fried. So most of that I borrowed directly from the text that you sent. Um, but the only caveat that I, I added there is a, uh, the setup is important. If it's a filler game, you can't take 10 minutes to set up and it's a 15-minute game. Yeah, so. here, and it, when I made my list, one of the things that I did was – what are my go-to filler games? Mm. And these are the I think the I most the same thing, Doug. The most important thing to me is the idea of I don't want to teach a new game or something that's really complicated to teach. They're games that I can get out, you know, almost like a reef where we're talking about you can teach the rules in two minutes, that type of thing. That's like, okay, I can get this out on the table. Everybody's going to be playing in, in two minutes, and yep. I don't need to do a, a long labor. I don't have to m remember how the rules work. Even ha half of that, there's there where it's like, I don't need to consult the rules at all yep. because they're simple. So, And the only other caveat I'll add here, it, this is more of a, a family recommended list for me than a game schooler. So I, yep. don't, I don't have any experience in, in a school setting with any of the games on my list. I just want yep. to mention that. But I have a lot of experience playing these games with my family. The other thing, too, is I tried to avoid making this an all-card game oh, shoot. Uh, <laughs> thing. So I've got some things kind of spread around so it Good. just wasn't uh, all cards. All right, Michael, what do you got? Number five. Number Give it to five, me. designed by Dieter Nussel. This is Impact Battle of the Elements, a 2018 release from Ravensburger, Robinsburger, however you want to burger the Ravens here. Um, and it's 1.03 weight out of five. So it's slightly higher than tic-tac-toe. Yeah. But we've talked about this one before. The, the actual game box is the arena where you are chucking dice and you're trying to be the person with dice left at the end 
Um, yep. Lots of variations on the game and how it can be played. So it's a game that, although the complexity is 1.03 out of 5, it changes the more that you play it because people want to play a different version. We yep. love this game in our family. We really do. We've given it to our mother-in-law as kind of, hey, replace shoots and ladders with yep. with Impact. Abuelita, please put Impact <laughs> into your collection. And she has. It was it was there this weekend. So yep. that's number five for me. And I, I appreciate you showing us that game because it's been a staple in, in our house since you brought it over so that's impact battle the elements yeah that's a great one um the yeah definitely a great game also available as strike was the original version and there's now a harry potter strike that kind of combines some of the original with yeah impact so there's there's several versions out there uh chuck and dice and trying to eliminate so the number five on my list is the roll and write version or a flip and write version for the list and that's silver and gold it's a recommended game of the week a uh i can tell it's on michael's list by his could you tell his subtle nod not not a very good poker face but uh we'll discuss it later but a great fast game to get out fun to play um if you want to learn more about it it's a uh, we covered that in our archives, right? Yeah, uh, I'll talk more about it when they, when they, <laughs> here in a couple of minutes. Just keep listening if you want to learn more about it. All right. What do you have, number four? I have Las Vegas. Oh, this yeah. is a dice rolling game, and you roll your dice. It's there, really a filler game, huh? Oh, yeah. It's so fast and easy to set up and learn. There's six different casinos all associated to a, uh, one of the sides of a dice. Rudiger and, Dorn? Yes. Yep. And there's uh, money at each casino. And then every time you roll, you have to put dice to a casino, but you have to take all of the dice of whatever number you're putting them at. So I still haven't played this game yet. If I roll two twos and a a four, and I decide I want to put the twos, I have to put both of my twos. I can't just put one down. You spend them, essentially, right? Yeah, and they're waiting there. And then whoever at the end of the round, whoever has the most at each casino, gets the first pick of the money. And the other cool thing is that... um, if two people have the same, so if I've got three dice and you've got three dice and Katie's got one die, we cancel each other out. Oh. It's almost like we're fighting and bidding and then we get bumped off and she gets it with one. So it's really fun when you get to those moments where I've got one dice left and I do not want to go somewhere because it will tie and that's what I end up rolling. You that's know? awesome. So great, great game. I love it. A thing that came out as like Las Vegas royale recently um and continues the Ravensburger trend of this list cool all right what do you got number four for me is from the same designers of clip cut parks that's sean graham and scott huntington and this is big dig the 2019 uh release polyomino flip and right trying to excavate randomly generated objects to bottom line it um the publisher is tasty minstrel games r.i.p yeah, yeah. Uh, but the weight on this one is 1.57 out of 5. I'm a big fan for all games that have anything to do with spelunkering. I love the the old video games of I'm going to dig and get some gold and I got to get out of here before the tunnel uh, caves in. And this is one of those games that uh, you and I were at, at a convention together. Um, and I, I saw it. I was like, oh, this looks awesome. And the guy at the booth just gave it to me. It was yeah. or it was one of those things like, oh, that's so nice. And he said, I, I play it with my kids in five to seven minutes, and we're done. And I thought, that can't be right. I tell you what, I've played this with all three of my kiddos. I play this with my wife. This, in terms of a filler game, 
it's one of those where we really only have 10 minutes. Well, let's play big dig. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't really talk. It, it's a Tetris type. You have five cards on the table, similar to silver and gold and you're selecting a, a card and you are then writing that in, uh, as you are spelunkering, trying to get different objectives such as, uh, gems and avoiding different, uh, pieces as well. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's I like a, it. Yeah, it's essentially Dig Dug, if you're familiar with that. It, it is essentially game, Dig Dug in a game. Uh, in, yep. a, in a board game version. Yeah, but I did check because with Tasty and Minstrel Games going out of business, I thought Doug's going to take a shot at me here. But as of today, as of the time of this recording... Uh, Amazon still had six copies at fifteen ninety five. So if you're listening, no, 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 <laughs> it's a fun one though, especially for for fifteen dollars. Um, it, it's one that we keep in our uh, quiver and uh, comes with us. So, all right, what's next for you? All right, next to my list, number three is Point Salad, two thousand nineteen release designer, uh, the trio of Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, and Sean Stankovich. Um, and this is two to six players. The weight is 1.15 out of five. We've talked about it. It was a recommended game of the week all the way back in episode six. Uh, this is published by Aldrock Entertainment Group, AEG. And if you want to hear more about it, just go listen to episode six. It's a party game. It's a family game. There's math involved. Play it with non-gamers. Play it with people who love Sushi Go and want to do a different type of game like that. Just a fantastic, fantastic uh, card game. All right. I think I got a lock on your last two, but I, <laughs> I could be wrong. Well, go ahead. All right. All right. My number three uh, is going to be For Sale. For Sale oh. is a great game that you can almost teach one half and then teach the second half. The first half is you've got coins and you are bidding on properties numbered from 1 to 30. Like 1 is a cardboard box and 30 is the International Space Station. And everywhere up between that, which could be a, a house, is there. So you're bidding for these numbers. Then the second round comes out and you put down uh, checks one per for each player and then everybody bids or puts down one of their properties face down whoever plays the highest property gets the highest dollar amount available and so on all down the line and then at the end of that whoever's got the most uh wins and it's just a great little game easy to teach and and fun to play every time i play it people are laughing at the the, the 1997 version is it that yeah. old do you think Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Then cool. there's okay, and the the artwork on it is funny. I know they just came out with like an uh, a car one. Okay, is like a for sale auto or something. Oh, Autorama. Like that. Yeah. Uh, is for it? sale Autorama. Oh, okay, okay. Yep. Um, and so that plays the same way, but it's got just funny when you buy and you is like, oh, I can't believe I just bid. Yeah. That one's new to me. $3,000 for this cardboard box, <laughs> you know, and, and somebody else got a castle for four. So I've heard you talk about it at least once before, but I've never played it. And I that... think it plays up to six, too. So it's got a. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Doug, what's my number two? Well, I'm going to write it down here. Uh, okay. Okay, go ahead. My number two is the 2019 release. Because I don't want to steal your Designed thunder. by Phil Walker-Harding. Published in the North American content by Pandasaurus. <laughs> weight of 1.17 out of 5. And the recommended game of the week in episode 29. It's silver and gold. 
uh, to call it a filler game, it, it's become such a staple in our house. For a long time, it was a Sunday afternoon game. Um, this is just a fantastic game, which Doug talked about earlier, so I won't go into too much detail, and we've covered it at length. But to say that it's standing the test of time because we've been playing it nonstop for about a year, we have a couple games that we may roll and write or flip and write in this case that we may have to buy again <laughs> because we, uh, we're putting it to good use. Uh, yeah. gr- great game. Yep. Enough awesome. Said. All right, good. I was right on that one. Uh, so my number two is Love Letter. Oh, I was wrong. This is an eight, uh, 18 card uh, little deduction mm-hmm. game. Very fast. You're uh, picking up a card, playing a card, picking up a card, playing a card, and the card that you play is giving you some sort of action. You're either trying to be the one at the end of the round with the highest numbered card or be the last one left in the round. So you can kind of guess what the other opponents have in their hand, and if you do, you can knock them out. So different things like that. Plays super fast. Uh, I have the regular version, but I secretly prefer the Batman version that was released, yeah, Batman you Love do, Letter. don't you? Yeah, I, I just think it's funny. Yeah. Um, and it, it comes with cool little Batman tokens. So that Components is my, my, my number. Uh, number two is Love Letter. That's great. So am I up to share my number one first? You on your number one. It's a 2019 release. It has not been a recommended game of the week yet, but this is the third time it's coming up on our um, high five. Is this it is, by the good doctor? It is not. Ooh. This is a Oanami 2019 release. Stefan Bendorf, the playtime is listed at 20 minutes, and it is a 20-minute game. The age is listed as 8 and up. It is an 8 and up, and the weight is 1.15 out of 5. It is a game that I'm able to teach, so it's certainly a 1.15. <laughs> um, in Ohanami, you are building gardens in numerical order, and you, you cannot have have gaps, for, for lack of a better term, and you're, there are different... Well, um, you can have back gaps. You, you just can't go back and fill them You can't go back in. and fill in the gaps. And you, you score out at the end of each round. Um, you're trying to score very specific card combinations. Just another great game. And I think I'm, I might have skipped it, but it's another Pandasaurus game. And, yeah. and they are they do on great my with the list. Little card they games. really do. And I know when Doug said trying not to do little card games, I looked at my list and said, that's all that I have here. But that they are my top five filler games that we play but they a all lot. Pl- they all play different. They play differently. You know? They score differently. They they're they're um, different puzzles, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. But uh, and and for me, the critical thing they can be played in between dinner and bedtime. They can yeah. be played in an afternoon to bring people together. Um, so that's my number one uh, filler game. This was on my short list. It just did not make the cut. Along with No Thanks is another yeah. great little card game. I thought your number one was going to be Llama, is what I thought. But I was wrong. It was right on Silver and just Gold. talked but... about it last week. All right. So, so you couldn't put it on the list? I uh, just, no. That, that's the game that I was Did alluding can... to that we're going to need to buy a second one of because there's a number two that our dog Howie got a hold of. And uh, throws uh, off the whole Yeah, so the I game. know that it's a two. I know what that card is. Um, and the I it's sleeved. Llama, so, llama so is sleeved, you, and the kids question. are like, "Why did you laminate this, Dad?" And I said, "It didn't. Those are sleeves." So here's my question: Does it? Did you not put it on the list just because it was on last week? Yeah, yeah, and, okay. and to, to mix it up, and I could put that on a lot of our lists. Yeah. Um, 
I'll tell you, it's getting that and Lost Cities are getting a ton of play in my house right now, but not by me. I come home from basketball practice and, and Josie and Emmy are playing Lost Cities. And, and then later on, you know, there's there's um, Llama being played and I'm not at the table. But anyway, uh, I digress. What's your number one, Doug? My number one is your number five, Impact Battle of the Elements. Oh, wow. So I put this on there just because it's so easy to get out. Oh. It's a great refresher. And because because there's not a much skill involved in this, it's right. just fun, luck. luck and chuck and dice it is what it is like i'm not pretending that it's some deep strategy game it is a perfect refresher fills in the gap between big games it's that perfect thing at the end of the night we're like ah let's just play one more thing i can get it out yep and and play it and there's not much i can say about it. it's an awesome game and i fell in love with it the first time i i demoed it and have not stopped and i think you know strike is very uh, Strike is the game that it's based on, and and Battle of the Elements. The thing I like about it is it's got these extra little modules in it that kind of you can play and change, change how it plays depending on how you choose to play it. Yeah. And that was not in the original, but I, like I said, I think they've incorporated some of that into the Harry Potter version. So a great uh, game. Now I want to play that one, which is dangerous yeah. uh, because <laughs> if I bring another version of Impact into the house, uh, that'll be an eye roll. So we have eight games. And on the right day, meaning if we were to buy all of these when they were at a fantastic sale, we could get all eight games for around $100, which, mm. I mean, a lot of these games have gone as low as nine ninety nine for yeah. fantastic games. And I think that, not that it always just comes down to price, but we do talk about games that are upwards of $100, and this... Yeah. The filler games, there's just a really nice variety out there for under $15 to $20. So Yeah, so that is the High Five filler games. Next week we're going to talk about the High Five uh, games with uh, great components. And just want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. You know the drill. There'll be uh, a poll coming on yeah, Twitter. Or, I or, or some sort of... Uh, some sort of interaction. Let's hear what games you like to play with your family around Thanksgiving. I know I've got a, a couple of a handful of games, and and some of them are on this list that are easy to to get to the table and play with family uh, while you're waiting for the turkey to be done, or right after after your dinner, that type of thing. When everybody is <laughs> in a food coma and doesn't want to think, pulling or exhausted you know, from cooking for the last fourteen yeah, hours. Yeah. Um, a game like Impact really hits the Perfect. spot. So thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and start game schooling. <laughs>